and open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue to uh, march on through the the book of Acts and uh, excited about today's message. Um, Very, very thankful for uh, my brother and fellow elder, Rhett Butler, who was able to share uh, his uh, message last week. Did a fantastic job, got a lot of wonderful feedback, and really one of the answered prayers of my heart since uh, coming on here at Christ Church is uh, giving our other elders opportunities to preach and teach and, and uh, share their giftedness um, to the church and to build up the church through the preaching of the gospel. So uh, don't be surprised, Red. I don't know if you're in the house or not. Don't be surprised if you get called on again here in the near future to do that. So, so thankful. I spent some time with our friends in Arlington, our church family in Arlington last week, and glad to be back here with you in Bartlett. So if you have your Bibles, We're going to open them to the book of Acts. I'm going to spend some time uh, in verses 9 through 25, and it's a section of Scripture that has just been fascinating to me as I've done some study over the last couple of weeks and and looking primarily at this unique character. His name is Simon the Sorcerer or Simon the Magician, and we're going to get into that today in just a minute. And then obviously the contrast that we see between him and then Simon Peter, the Apostle, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that I want to go ahead and and just make a statement up front and clear about today is what we believe matters. You think about that for just a second. What you believe matters. What the church believes matters. If you're going to look or investigate any type of a local church, if, if someone is coming to prospect Christ Church, and you know, they're looking to find a church home. And my advice to you, if you're pursuing any type of a ministry or any type of a church, or you're looking to join a church or anything like that, the very first thing that you have to do is you have to look at what they believe. You know, you take a look at the doctrinal statement, you make sure that it's sound, that it lines up with Scripture, and all those kind of things. Obviously, when I was approached about this position here at Christ Church, that was the first thing I did. I got on the website. Matter of fact, if you don't know what we believe... Our doctrinal statement is on the website there uh, at ChristChurchMemphis.com. I encourage you to go and do that. But it's important that we know what we believe and we understand that what we believe matters because what you believe is directly going to affect how you behave. It just, it always is. That's the difference between orthodoxy, orthodox, what we believe, and orthopraxy, what we practice or what we do. It's always interconnected. Now, as I was preparing for this message, there was a survey that came out this past week with, our, with one of uh, a respected ministries called Ligonier Ministries. If any of you are familiar with Ligonier Ministries, it was founded by the late, great R.C. Sproul, who uh, a fantastic Bible teacher for, for years and years. He passed away, I think, maybe a year ago. Um, but they do a survey every two years. It's called the State of Theology. And they just released the results of their latest survey. Uh, Some of you may or may not have uh, been aware of this. I encourage you to go online, go to LigonierMinistry.com and look at the state of theology, and they post their results there. Now, now take, take for granted, don't take for granted, that they're talking to people who claim to be evangelical Christians. We're not talking about, we're not asking these questions to people who are outside of what we call evangelical faith. We're talking about the people who are within the church. And there are some very troublesome results when it comes to this state of theology. I'm just going to share one of them with you this morning to let you know and, and to, to try to give you a, an understanding of where many of us are right now in the state of evangelical Christianity in North America. 
When posed with this statement, so a lot of times in these surveys, they'll, they'll give a statement and they'll say, do you agree with this? Do you disagree with this? That's kind of how they do it. Listen to this statement in the State of Theology survey. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now think about that. That's the statement. And now we're not talking about people outside of the faith. We're not talking about the world answering this question. We're talking about evangelicals, church people. Guess what? On that statement, let me read it again. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 78% of the church said they agree. Nearly 8 out of 10 of the people interviewed through this State of Theology survey. Now these are people that are in churches, they're in Sunday school, they're reading their Bibles, they're being taught from the pulpit. These are people who say, yes, Jesus was a created being. That is the utter foundation of heresy. Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator God. And so you see right now, just just based on one of these results right here, that where we are right now in 2018 in the evangelical church, especially here in North America, we cannot take for granted for one second that people, first of all, know and understand the gospel, they believe the truth, and that our preachers and teachers are preaching the truth. And so we have to be very, very careful and very intentional about contending, understanding the gospel, contending for the faith, knowing what we believe, knowing what the Bible says, knowing sound doctrine. This entire message that I'm about to share with you really comes down to that one very thing. It's exposing the fruit, the rotten fruit of a false gospel. Exposing the rotten fruit of a false gospel. So let's do this. Let's jump into Acts chapter 8. Let's read this this, uh, story about Simon Magnus or Simon the Magician. And then let's jump into some of the differences between what I call the false gospel and the true gospel. And I hope that we're walking away today more equipped to know what the gospel is as Bible-believing Christians. Acts 8 verse 9. It says, There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. They're basically attributing divinity, deity to this man. And they paid attention, second time, they mentioned that, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, okay, two of the founding apostles who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Modern-day translation, to hell with you and your money. That's how strong that statement is right there. That's what he's saying, okay? He says, may your silver perish with you, 
Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Exposing the rotten fruit of a false gospel. So I began to do more and more research. I began to investigate who is this Simon character? Who is this Simon the magician? It's interesting because if you do more study and research and commentary, uh, biblical commentary and looking at the writings of the early church fathers, they knew who this guy was. I think that's one of the main reasons why Luke spends time right here telling us about the origin of Simon the magician. The early church recognized this man as someone who was an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example... um, Irenaeus, who who wrote this work, he's an early church father, against all heresies, he said, this guy Simon, Simon Magnus as they called him, or Simon the magician, the sorcerer, he was the father of all heresies. Okay, so the early church fathers pointed back to this event in the book of Acts and said, that guy Simon the magician, the Samaritan, guess what? He's the father of all heresies. What did we just get finished learning? One of the greatest heresies that Jesus is a created being. Well, Simon is attributed with with being the founder of Gnosticism. I'm not going to go into today about what is Gnosticism. You ought to familiarize yourself with Gnosticism because it was one of the biggest threats to the early church. And Paul and John both spent considerable amount of times in the scriptures combating and opposing Gnosticism because it was a false teaching that had crept into the church early on. So this guy, Simon, was, was not just some um, you know, sideways magician that was just making rounds throughout the little villages and, and, and doing petty magic tricks. No, this guy had considerable influence in the early church. Justin Martyr, in 152 AD, he wrote this. He said he was a formidable magician, Simon the magician, and tells that he went to Rome in the days of Claudius, and it says he made such an impression by his magical powers that he was honored as a god... And they even, they even erected a statue to him. And there has been some archaeological evidence that has confirmed that there was indeed a statue erected to this Simon the Magician character. Matter of fact, there's a guy named Dr. E.L. Martin who he goes into greater detail about who Simon the Magician was and the character of his gospel, the false gospel that he was preaching. He actually ties Simon the Magician's influence in Rome to the beginning of the Catholic Church because he actually took, assumed like this identity as being a, a true apostle. We're going to get into that in just a minute. And some of the false teachings and beliefs that he began to spread throughout Rome, you can identify and see them as the Catholic Church began to develop much of its doctrine. Kind of interesting. Again, if you want to read more of that, please go and research some of that. But what we have here in this, in this story, again, you have Simon the Magician, who, and we're going to get into his nature and his character and some of the things that he taught. And then you have Simon Peter rebuking him, And so basically they represent two camps. Simon the magician representing the false gospel, the rotten fruit of a false heretical gospel, and then Simon Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who represents, again, the one true gospel that we have have received from Jesus through the apostles that you hold in your hand today, and you can be assured that what you have today is the inspired, authoritative, written word of God, and that it is the true gospel. So what we believe 
matters. So let's go through this passage together and let's just talk about some of the comparisons between the false gospel and the true gospel. First, I want to, to, to tell you about the source. What is the source of a false gospel? Well, you see, the false gospel really has no substance in and of itself, so it has to take the true gospel and it has to counterfeit it. The false gospel is basically taking the truth of God's Word and the, and the good news of Jesus Christ and it's adding things to it or taking things out of it, it's perverting it, it's, it's, it's in introducing pagan idolatry and things like that to it. It's a counterfeit Christianity. It, it's based upon distortions of the truth, perversions and lies, subtle lies that you find in the false gospel. Simon the magician would have been very familiar with this. Why? Because he was a Samaritan. Quick history lesson on the Samaritans. They were the northern kingdom of Israel, the apostate kingdom of Israel. They were living in idolatry, uh, just, just following after all of these other gods, making sacrifices, built a temple to these other gods. Well, in 722 AD, God, the Lord said, I've had enough. He allows the Assyrians to come in. They conquer the northern kingdom. They take most of the Israelites out as captives into exile. They replace them with some of their own people. And so for generations there in the northern kingdom, there became this, this blending of religions. And so the Jewish people took what they liked of the Jewish faith, and then they blended it with a lot of what the Assyrians and Babylonian pagan idolatry and pagan worship, they took it and they put it together, and they kind of mixed it up to make it their own religion, where they would make sacrifices to the Lord, but then they would turn around and also make sacrifices to prophets, I mean, uh, false gods like Baal and Asherah. And so that's where Simon the magician comes from. He is, comes from this culture of a false counterfeit faith. So if the false gospel is spread as a counterfeit gospel, it borrows from major themes of Christ's teaching, but then it gives subtle twists and corruptions. Listen, Satan is he's not going to make obvious transgressions of the gospel. He just wants to take the truth, and he just wants to put little subtle corruptions and twists on it. But like Adrian Rogers said, if you take a half-truth and make it a whole truth, it, becomes, it is an untruth. You can't take the half-truth and make it a whole truth because it's not true at all. Amen. So you have the true gospel, which is where, where's the source of the true gospel? The source of the true gospel is the revealed word of God. Uh, it, it's mentioned several times here in this passage in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says right here, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that, that Samaria had received the word of God. You see, they received the true gospel. They received the word of God. We have to make sure we understand that we can uh, base our belief system, our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the, the, the inerrant, infallible word of God. Peter says it this way in his uh, epistle, 2 Peter 1. Peter says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We can, we can be confirmed in the Word of God. Why? He says we should pay attention as to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." You see, the source of the true gospel must always be the revealed, inspired, and errant word of God. Well, that's the source. But what about the power of a false gospel? You see, this man, Simon the magician, he was a powerful man. 
I want you to, to, to get that in your mind right now. We're not talking about a guy like David Copperfield who goes on uh, shows in Las Vegas and performs these great, uh, you know, exhibitionist performances where he wows the audience and does all these magical tricks. And no, we're not talking about that kind of magician. We're not talking about your run-of-the-mill guy who pulls a bunny out of his hat. We're talking about a man who was given immense demonic power. He was, he was drawing from demonic forces of darkness. He, was, he had tremendous influence in the dark arts, what we would call black magic. He was so powerful, did you catch it, that the Samaritans said, you're basically, you are the power of the great God. They, they, they are basically worshiping this man as a God because of the power that he's wielding. He's tapping into something deep and demonic, but something very real and very powerful. That gives credence as to why the Romans even be, erected a statue to this man saying he was a God because of the power that he had. So he has Satan, demonic forces of darkness were his power source. The apostle Paul warned the church against this in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this. He said in verse uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, he says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's exactly what this guy Simon did. He disguised himself as an apostle of Christ. We'll get into more of that in just a second. And no wonder, Paul says, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, like Simon, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond to their deeds. You see... This man, Simon, had great power, and he used that power to influence the people. You see, this goes all the way back to God's warning in the, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, where he says this, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, a sorcerer, one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Amen. Why does God tell us to stay away? from all these occult practices of the occult and black magic and even things, things that we may even consider harmless like reading horoscopes, playing with the Ouija board when you're a kid, getting your palm read at the fair, going to see your crystal ball to see if this medium can tell you what your future is. You know, we, 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 see, that's one of the things the devil has done in our culture. He just makes those things seem so harmless. And they're just, oh, they're, they, don't have, they don't really have any power. Why does God tell us to avoid such things? Because they're real. Because they're absolutely 100% real. Because they are absolutely 100% dangerous to us. You see, when we entertain those kind of things, even if you have dabbled in those things in the past, basically what the, the Bible teaches, you're opening yourself up. You're giving the devil a stronghold. You're opening up a doorway into your life through the demonic and the dark arts. And that's why the Lord says, don't even go near it. Don't even play around with it. Don't ever even mess with it. I made mention of this here. We were coming up on, on Halloween. And I think this past weekend, the new Michael Myers movie is top of the box office. Listen, I'm not going to get legalistic with you. I don't, you know, if you want to go watch Michael Myers and the new Halloween movie, that's fine. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But listen to me. Some of these horror movies, guys, they're nothing but demonic. 
how can, and as a Christian, I can't even watch most of these horror movies because I just get this dark, demonic feeling associated with it. If you can watch it, by all means, that's, that's between you and the Lord. But listen, here's just a common rule. I'll just kind of lay it out there for you. There are things that are either leading you more into the light, and there are things that are leading you more into the what? Into the dark. It's just as simple as that. So if you're participating in things that are leading you more into the darkness, to me, I think that's dangerous. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. I'm not making a legalistic commandment this morning. But there are so many things in our culture and our world today that, that have intense, very real power. And if we're not careful, careful as Christians, we can get ourselves mixed up with those things and open ourselves up to the demonic activity of Satan. But where does the true power come from? Well, we see when Philip comes to Samaria, he's doing great signs and wonders. The Lord has given him this ability to heal the sick, raise the dead. People are overwhelmed. There, even Simon himself, who had demonic power, he's impressed by the real power of the Holy Spirit. Because God's power is always greater. And so you see, as Jesus told the disciples, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Well, this is that exact prophecy being fulfilled in Philip's life if he goes out into Samaria and now he's one of the witnesses of the gospel and God has given him this tremendous power through the Holy Spirit to perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, all of that always comes back to the validation of the messenger and the message. Whenever you see sign gifts in the, in, in the book of Acts especially, you have people that are being raising, raising the dead, people are speaking in other languages, the sick are being healed. God used that in specific instances to validate the gospel message to the nations, to the Jews first and then to the Samaritans and then on to the nations. But we have to be careful as Christians to look for a sign. Why? Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus is saying in the last days, especially these, these uh, encounters with people who have what seems to be this amazing power, we have to be very careful to go and, and to, to allow those things to lead us astray because if we're just looking for this power, we're just looking for a sign, we can be deceived. Paul says it this way in 2 Thessalonians 2. Listen, he says, The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Guys, we have to be careful about chasing after signs. They can be true. They can be validated by God. But we also have to be very, very careful and discerning when these things happen. So there's... The source, there's the power. Now let's look at the authority. Simon, this magician, he comes boasting great things about who? Did y'all catch that? Speaking great things about himself. You see, every false teacher, every false prophet has to come in their own authority. They have to come in their own glory. They have to come boasting great things about themselves because they're false. That's what he did. His message contradicted sound doctrine. We see this later as in church history says... And so basically anybody can stand up and say, I'm a prophet of God. There are people historically, I think, that have led so many millions of people astray. There's two that really come to mind right here who received a quote-unquote revelation from an angel of light, and then they went promoting themselves as a true prophet, but we know their fruit, and we know that what they've taught has contradicted what the true gospel is, and so therefore they're not a true prophet. They are a false prophet. Two of them that come to mind, Muhammad and Joseph Smith. 
Go research the stories about Muhammad and Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church. Muhammad, the founder of Islam. Both of their revelation stories sound eerily familiar. Eerily familiar. And they have led so many people astray because they came saying, I'm a great prophet of God. And you know what? One of the other things about these false prophets, nobody is supposed to question them. Don't question their authority. You see, because when you start asking questions and questioning their authority, then they are exposed. What I love about the gospel and Jesus Christ and the teachings of the scripture is I'll have any, anybody can question this. Ask any question that you want, and I believe that there is a, there's an answer. I'm not afraid to defend the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. I'm not trying to hide anything because it's true. Amen? And so we have the authority, and this is what I think basically Simon the magician is getting down to right here. He's trying to buy the authority of an apostle. That's right. He wanted more power. We know that because he, he was a worker of magic and he, 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 he drew off the power of the dark magic and all these kind of things. But he also wanted that, that title. He said, hey, if I can get this same gift that Peter and John have, then I can also be an apostle. I can be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Which again gives credence to the historical accounts of him going to Rome and masquerading himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ and sowing seeds of this false gospel in Rome. Very, very interesting when you begin to look at that. As a matter of fact, there is a, um, and I may, I, I'm going to wait for that a little bit later. And so you have the false gospel, now you have the true gospel. Now, what's the authority of the true gospel? Well, the authority is Jesus Christ Amen. and his apostles. Jesus Christ and his apostles. What did Jesus tell the apostles before he ascended into heaven? All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Now, I'm about to go. So basically saying, I'm giving all my authority to, to you. That's why it was important for Peter and John to come to Samaria because they had, been received, they had received authority directly from Jesus as one of his apostles. And they just had to come to validate, is this really a work of God going on in Samaria? We see this happening basically three times in the book of Acts. It happens in Acts 2 in Pentecost where the gospel comes to the Jews. It happens right here in, in Acts 8 where the gospel comes to the Samaritans. And it happens again in Acts chapter 10 when the gospel comes to the Gentiles. Well, that's the Great Commission, right? You will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the apostles had to validate. That's why there's this extra laying on of hands so that they could receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe this is an extra um, subsequent you know, experience that we all believers need. I'm not going into that. But there are teachings in a lot of the charismatic churches that believe you have to have this extra baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to, to, to validate that you're really a Christian. Again, I'm not, I'm not here to spend time on that. But you see the authority is in Jesus Christ and the apostles. Now, in Ephesians 2, it says this. Our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So there is a, Jesus is the foundation, he's the cornerstone. The apostles built the faith upon him, and then, our, then their testimony has carried on through generations. So that, listen, do you know why it's so important that what you hold in your hands can be trusted? Because every book, especially every book in the New Testament is validated to us because it was written either by an apostle of Jesus Christ or one of their close companions. So we get first-hand account, eyewitness testimony as to why Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ was and what he did. Now, some people get deceived and all caught up in what we call the Gnostic Gospels. How many of you remember the Da Vinci Code that came out several years ago? Dan Brown's books. 
He's basing all of his teachings. Jesus was not really uh, the son of God. He really was just a man, and he married Mary Magdalene, and they had all these children. And, and, and this, is a, you know, this has been a big conspiracy that the church has been keeping all this from everybody for years. Look, that is the biggest lie you've ever heard. Because he's basing all that information on what we call Gnostic Gospels. Remember, who was the founder of Gnosticism? Simon the Magician. We, we find that in church history. But all these Gnostic Gospels, they came hundreds of years later. And they just had all these elaborate, you know, fairy tale type mythological, mythological stories about Jesus that have no credence, no foundation. They were not written by apostles. They were not validated by the church. But many people look at those things and are like, oh, we see the church is trying to keep all this real stuff from us. No, guys, those are all heretical Gnostic gospels. They're not true. They're not based in the authority of the apostles. Let me go on. Number four, the message. What's the message of the false gospel? Very basic. Your salvation can be bought or earned. Anytime you hear a message of salvation that's Jesus and something else, that's a what? That's a false gospel. Hear me again. Anytime you hear a gospel that says that you've got to trust Jesus and do something else, that's a false gospel. Because our salvation is a free gift found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So Simon says, hey, I want this power. I want this authority. I want to be an apostle so that I can go around and what? I want to sell it. I want to peddle the gospel to people. We, we saw this, unfortunately, in the Roman Catholic Church when the priests were selling indulgences to their people saying, hey, if you just put enough money in the coffers, then your sins can be forgiven. And oh, by the way, put a little extra money for your relatives who have, who have already died and maybe they can get out of purgatory a little bit sooner. That's what, the, that's what the whole Protestant Reformation was born out of. The, 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 the people who were reading the Word of God for the first time, they said, this is wrong. They're selling the gospel. They're profiting off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you see that every false message of the false gospel has something to do with earning or working for your salvation. You do this, you do that. If you're good outweighs your bad, whatever it may be, pay enough money, do enough good deeds, and then you can be made right with God. That's a lie. But what's the true gospel? The true gospel is that salvation is the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. So many scriptures. Ephesians 2. For we are saved by grace through faith. It is, that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. So that no man can boast. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the true gospel is a gospel of free salvation. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. It cannot be bought. Now, a lot of people say, what about Simon? It says that he believed. Did you catch that? He believed and was baptized. Was that a true salvation, true saving experience? I don't believe it was. You know why? It made me think about Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed. He said in Matthew 13, he's talking about the sower who lays the seed out, and some of it falls on rocky soil, some of it on good solid ground where it bears fruit. But you know what Jesus said? He said, some of the seed falls upon the thorns. And he represents the thorns as the riches and the cares of this world grow up around that seed and do, do what? They choke it out. 
It bears no fruit. See, Simon may have received the gospel. He may have, quote unquote, believed, superficially believed at first, but he has all these ulterior motives. Number one is greed because he wants to be able to identify with Jesus so he can make more money and have more influence. And so eventually the seed of riches and the cares of this world basically just choked the gospel out in Simon's life. I do not believe that he truly had a conversion experience right here. Number five, what's the motivation? The false gospel motivation is to exploit men for profit and self-glory. Peter says this, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Anytime that you have a ministry built on having to get something from somebody, that ought to raise a what? Red flag. The gospel is not about getting something from anybody. The gospel, the true gospel is we're here to give, give life to men. Not for our glory, but for the glory of God. You see the difference? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. The true gospel is, that's what I love about this church. That's what, you know, part of this whole go campaign that we're doing. All we want to do, guys, is just give people something. Here, here's the good news of Jesus Christ. We love you in the name of Jesus. I hope that you read it. That's all that it is. We're not asking anything from anybody. We have no ulterior motives. We just want to give life to people. That's what the true gospel is all about. That's the motivation. Simon had a false motivation, and he had a false gospel in the fruit of his life. Peter harshly rebukes him. I mean, you think about what Peter says to Simon, and if you really study Peter's rebuke in verses, it's basically verses... um, 19 through 24, if you just, we're not going to read all that over again, but let me just kind of touch on some of the highlights. Peter's basically like, you perish with your money. He says, You're, you can't buy the gift of God. He says, you have no part in this ministry. Peter was clear. He said, you can't buy, you can't become an apostle just because you throw some money at us. You don't have any part in this ministry. He says, your heart's not right with God. He says, basically, you've got to repent. And he said, if it's possible for God to forgive you, I don't think Peter expected him to repent, and I don't think he expected Simon to be forgiven. I know that sounds harsh, but I think that's what you can, you can see here in the text. It also says, he says, your heart is full of poison, bitter gall, and you are in bondage. Is that language that we talk about of a believer? That's not language of a believer. That's not the fruit of a believing heart, that you're bitter, bitter poison, you're in bondage, you're not right with God. You need to repent. Those are, that's not language that we hear when it comes to the true gospel. And so the fruit of the false gospel always leads people to have a poisoned heart, spiritual bondage, and eventually eternal damnation. That's what's, so, that's what's so important about what we're talking about this morning is because there are, subtle, there are subtleties in the false gospel that people are believing with all of their heart. They are sincere. They're not bad people. They just believe a lie. And guys, the, the enemy, Satan, uses the false gospel to lead people into damnation, to lead them into eternal separation from God. It is serious. And that is the fruit of Simon's ministry. But the true gospel which is what we're kind of lead, kind of we're going to transition this whole message now into the Lord's Supper. And I want you to ask yourself these questions when it comes to the true gospel. Listen, the true gospel is this. Your heart has been cleansed 
You know that you stand in right, you're in right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. Yes, we're going to struggle and stumble, and yes, we're still battling the flesh, and yes, we're still battling sin, but ultimately you know you have a right standing. You've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It means that your heart has been cleansed, and you have been forgiven of all of your sin. So when you come to take the Lord's table in just a second, when we come to the Lord's table and we observe the Lord's Supper, it is an opportunity for all of us to kind of examine our hearts and make sure that there's no poison, there's no bitter poison, there's no bondage in our life, there's no sin in our life that we're just holding on to or that we haven't confessed and those kind of things because this is an opportunity for us to make sure that we are right with God, to proclaim the, the promises of the true gospel, that you have a cleansed heart, that you've been set free Spiritually set free from the law of sin and death. And that you know, that you know, that you know, that you have eternal life. That if you were to die today, that you would spend an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. That you know that, that there's confidence in that. So as we go, all I want to say is that we are called to know the gospel. We're called to understand the gospel. We're called to believe the gospel. We're called to preserve the gospel. We're called to teach it to the next generation. We've talked a lot about that. And we're called to contend for the gospel. So listen, even within the church, if you hear something that's wrong, you hear a false teaching, listen, some people make mistakes. Some people just repeat what they've been taught. Some people are teaching something that is not true, that is false, and they're not they're not false teachers per se. They don't really know what they're doing. Y'all understand the difference? So there are times and opportunities in your walk with other believers. Sometimes we have to lovingly, graciously correct people. Hey, that's not what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. We need to contend for the faith because God forbid that we ever be a church that believes such heresy like Jesus Christ is the first and greatest created being of God. That is so sad to think that many people out there in churches just like this all over America, they believe that. And if you go read that state of theology, there's all kind of other problems. So many other answers in the survey that just makes you say, wow, is that what people really believe? Guys, we need to know the gospel. Listen, so that we can recognize, expose, and reject any other gospel. What's the greatest way to, to, to ex expose a counterfeit? Know the true thing. Know the true thing. So here, in just a second, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper, and one of our elders, Scott Jones, is going to come up and give us some instructions about the Lord's Supper and pray for us before we enter into our time of the Lord's Supper. And so let me just pray for you right now. And listen, use this time to search your heart. Use this time. Maybe you haven't been diligent to know what you believe what the true gospel is. Maybe you need, to, you need to dig a little harder, dig a little deeper, study a little bit more to know what you believe, to know what is sound doctrine. Maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life today and you're just tired of living in that bondage. Whatever it is, use this time to get your heart right before you come to the table. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for the true gospel of Jesus Christ that's been passed down to us through the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. And that the word that we have is fully confirmed, it is true, it is sure. And we can know, Lord, that what we hold is the true testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know the gospel, to understand it, believe it with all of our heart, and to live it and contend for it, Lord, in these days. Thank you so much for who you are and what you have done. For it's in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ we pray.
Amen.